Welcome to the Soul of Islam radio podcast with Ahmed Saqamini and Emil Ihsan Alexander Tarabi. This is episode number seven of season number one. My name is Ahmed, and I'm a researcher in atomic molecular optical physics, a spoken word artist and poet, and deeply committed to sharing the fundamental connection between science and spirituality with our community and beyond. Ahsan is a lifelong student of Islamic spirituality and the founder and creator of the highly acclaimed Islamic Meditation and Eternal Warrior Way programs. He is a spiritual coach, writer, and speaker committed to the evolution of consciousness within the global community. The Soul of Islam radio podcast is dedicated to sharing the deeper dimension of Islam and supporting your personal growth and spiritual development. Today's podcast is on the prophet, messenger, and leader, Musa alayhi salam, also known as Moses, peace be upon him. It will be a discussion on the spiritual significance of his journey, his role towards Pharaoh and the Israelites, and the deeper meanings behind the many incidents that he had encountered in his life. And of course, joining me today is Brother Ihsan. Assalamu alaikum, Habibi. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Alhamdulillah, as always, a pleasure to be here. I'm very much looking forward to this topic of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, who is again also one of the five great prophets of Allah, one of the five great Ulul Azam, and regarding whom a significant amount of information is provided in the Holy Quran. Indeed. And subhanAllah, Musa, Moses, peace be upon him, is mentioned more than any individual in the Qur'an al-Kareem. So there's a lot to be learned. And with that, we will begin with a short ayah from al-Qur'an. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وأوحينا إلى أم موسى أن أرضعيه فإذا خفت عليه فالقيه في اليم ولا تخافي ولا تحزني إن ردوه إليك وجعلوه من المرسلين Translation And we inspired to the mother of Moses suckle him But when you fear for him, cast him into the river, and do not fear and do not grieve. Indeed, we will return him to you, and will make him one of the messengers. That is from chapter 28, verse 7. Now, subhanAllah, this is a powerful verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends an inspiration to the mother of Moses. It could have been in a dream state, or she could have been awake, but he gave her clear instructions. And he asked her if she felt any kind of fear, if fear filled her heart, to take her son and let him go, throw him into the Nile River. And the reason why is because during that time, it is said that the Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, had a dream. And we won't go into the details of the dream, but the soothsayers told him that there will be a time when a boy, when someone from the Israelites will come forth and will overthrow the Pharaoh. And him being a very powerful being, the ruler of Egypt at the time, he was consumed by fear. Because of that dream, he ordered for all the infants, all the young boys to be killed. And it was during that year that Musa was born. So his mother, naturally being a mother, was afraid for her own son. 
And because of that situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cast the inspiration into her heart and told her, once you feel that, let him go and put your trust completely in me. What's very interesting is that immediately after she does that, he reminds her in that inspiration, after you let him go, make sure to not allow fear or sadness to enter your heart. And subhanAllah, this is mentioned many times in the Quran, fear and sadness, they are mentioned together. They're associated with surrendering and letting go and putting one's trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he also confirms and assures her that after letting go and trusting in him, that not only he will make him one of the messengers, but later on in the Quran, he assures her that he will unite her with him. Very powerful. What, what are your takes uh, on that ayah, brother Ihsan? Allahu Akbar, we see time and again how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran and in the teachings of the Prophet juxtaposes at two extremes. One is fear and one is faith. And how it is faith that guides the hearts and the actions of the believers. Now the Prophet Sayyidina Muhammad said that none are tested as severely as are the prophets of Allah. And it is only their faith that enables them to overcome their trials, their tribulations, their challenges. And he also said that those who are nearest to God are often those who are tested the most. And the test is always one of faith, one of belief. So we see Moses' mother, a believer, and she's facing one of the most difficult tests a human being can face. The safety and survival of her child, her newborn son. And she's being commanded or inspired to cast him into the river. This is not unlike the test that Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, had gone through with Ismail in which he was facing the sacrifice of his son as well. Yet she was firm, and Allah commanded her and inspired her and strengthened her heart and soul to be fearless and to have faith. And she was powerless in the world. She had no money, she had no wealth. In fact, she was one of the slaves of Pharaoh. And yet Pharaoh, who had control of all the wealth in the world and endless armies, was filled with fear. Her faith, her rock, was belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet Pharaoh's faith and belief was in himself. It was in dunya. It was in material power. And for that he was afflicted with fear that poisoned his life and everything he did. This alone is an important lesson for us to remember. That so long as we depend on dunya for safety and security, we will always be filled with fear. Because it is not a strong support. Yet if we depend upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we never need fear. And the great Sufis, the great spiritual masters of old, very often would keep nothing for their provision for the next day, just to continually remind themselves that their source of sustenance and their source of life and strength is Allah. Some would go on great journeys, taking no provision with them, knowing that Allah would provide. You know, a few years ago, I took a trip to visit Afghanistan, and I had no idea what to expect. This was shortly after the Taliban had been ousted and travel was again possible into the country. I knew that the people were poor and that they were struggling. And when I went, my heart bled because I would see children walking without shoes, wearing one pair of raggedy clothes with holes in it, and that's all they had. They had nothing in terms of material, physical, worldly support. But the one thing that I noticed is that they were happy. The one thing I noticed is that they had no fear. There was nothing they were afraid of. And I remember reading an article by an NGO at the time that had sent in counselors and therapists to deal with some of the children and the families that had been affected by the trials of the war and had lost close ones, loved ones, parents, children. And at the end of the report, the NGO stated 
that they were surprised by the resilience of the Afghan people, that they had managed to go through such horrendous experiences and yet not seem to be so adversely as affected by them as they would have expected them to be. At the end of the report, the NGO stated that there are things that they have to learn from the local culture. That resilience, that strength, that certitude, that faith comes from belief, belief in Allah. And I clearly saw people that would have food in the morning and had no idea if they would eat that evening. They had no fear. And then I would look back to life in the West where the fridge is full. There's thousands of dollars in bank accounts, at least usually for the average person. And yet there is still all pervading fear that governs their lives, our lives. And I began to realize, among other things, that the more we depend on dunya, the more we depend upon the material world, the less we tend to depend upon Allah. Now, of course, this doesn't mean not to have wealth or abundance in the world, but to be free of dependence upon it. Pharaoh, the great ruler, had all the wealth in the world, yet his heart was diseased and empty and filled with fear. And yet the believers who had nothing were filled with faith and strength and peace. SubhanAllah. And we see that total dependence and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the mother of Moses and how that manifests later into her life. When she cast him into the river, she asked her daughter to follow him along the river to see where he would end up. You know, later we learn that he was picked up by the wife of Pharaoh, known as Asya, and she became attached to him and she wanted to adopt him, later which she did. But subhanAllah, Moses as an infant refused breast milk from any of the women. So his sister, Moses' sister, went to the Pharaoh, went to Asya, and informed them that she knew someone who would be perfect, who would be fit for this job. And who was it, subhanAllah? It was the mother of Moses. So that wad, that promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made to the mother of Moses became true, became a reality once she let go, once she surrendered and she put her trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now later on, Musa, Moses alayhi salam, grows up and becomes very close to the son of the Pharaoh, which he has a very interesting relationship with as a child and later on in his life. Later on, as a young adult, Musa, Moses alayhi salam, in an accident, commits a crime and kills a man. And he is forced to escape. He was forced to leave his home and travel to another town, to another area. And along that journey, he came across a shepherd and his daughters, and he approached a well to drink some water. But because of his purity and his innocence and his good intentions, he later married one of the daughters of that shepherd. And he lived amongst that tribe for around eight to ten years. Now, this brings us to a very interesting point here. It was during a time when him and his family, the woman whom he married and he had kids from, and along that journey, something caught the attention of Musa salam. It was in a place known as Mount Sinai or the Valley of Tua. And somewhere on that mountain, he saw a burning bush. It was more than curiosity that drew him towards the burning bush. It was almost as an inspiration, a calling, a voice within that told him to come close. And it is in that moment that he received the most important inspiration in his life. A voice from the burning bush called him and asked him, Ya Musa, remove your shoes. And we've mentioned this in a previous episode. Removing the shoes 
meant that the voice, which was Allah, which was God, speaking to Moses, wanted Moses to come to him, but before he did, he would need to abandon his self, his ego, the lower passions and desires, his attachments to any of this world behind. He asked him to prostrate before him. And he also gave him the news of his selection of prophethood. It was in that time that Musa salam knew that he was a prophet of God, that he had a connection with the Divine Presence, and that he had a mission. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also informed him of the Day of Judgment, the reality of that day, and the fact that this world is nothing but an illusion, and the reality that each and every individual, every human being will find themselves in is not in this world, but in the world that will come after. He also entrusted him or gave him miracles. Now we know that miracles are a reflection of a station that one has achieved by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Musa salam the miracles, but one of them being is that he had to go back and confront the Pharaoh because Pharaoh and his people had no connection with Allah. They had connection to the physical world. They believed in magic. They believed in fortune-telling. And these miracles were almost a tool to denounce anything that the Pharaoh and his people believed in. Now, there's a lot of inspiration and a lot that can be learned from this event that took place at the Valley of Tua. Wouldn't you uh, think so, Brother Hassan? We see again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calling a messenger or prophet towards his divine presence and how this takes place upon a mountain, upon an elevated area, elevated from the world. In the same way the Prophet Muhammad received the revelation of the Qur'an in Jabal Nur, in the Ghar Hira, in the cave of Hira. And in this case, Allah is also commanding or ordering Moses, Musa to remove his shoes, like you said, to leave behind attachment to the physical world, because these things hold us back from clarity, it holds us back from the attachments of the world, hold us back from a pure connection with our Creator, with our Source. They're a veil. So Moses السلام, is leaving behind his shoes, his attachments to the world, ascending upon the mountain to come closer to Allah. I would just say that it's, a again, another beautiful example of how we, as human beings, to the degree that which we can leave behind the lower world and ascend in sincerity and purity and humility, in freedom from attachment, in ego-based desire, can draw closer to Allah's Divine Presence. SubhanAllah, Moses, Musa salam, had a conversation with Allah, with God. And he is the only Prophet that earned or was given the title of Kalimullah. He was the only one who could converse with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Later on, we see him confronting the Pharaoh in his court and demanding from him the release of all the slaves of the Hebrews, the Israelites, who have been enslaved many, many, many years after Prophet Yusuf He also informed him of the one true God, of his power, the fact that he ruled everything in the universe, the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. And the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, who was consumed by his ego and his attachments to this physical world and his rule and control over people, felt very threatened by this message, by the mission that Musa salam was upon. Because his ego ultimately wanted to sit on the throne. It wanted the throne for itself. 
Now, we have this very interesting relationship between the heart and the mind. We know that the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the heart of the believer. And in the same way, the mind becomes the throne for the ego. The ego ultimately wants to sit on a throne. It wants to be worshipped. It wants to be obeyed. It wants to recognize itself as being independent of everything around when you see someone who is attached to the physical world, you see him obey its ego's wishes and its commands. With everything it wants, mind follows. I'd like to say something about the word kufr or kafir. And you mentioned here, Ahmed, how Pharaoh was driven by the ego mind, by ego consciousness, which takes its seat upon the mind. It takes its root in the head, in the thinking process. And the natural result of that is fear. So we see Pharaoh driven by his mind, by self-preservation, by ego, by the need for control. And on the other side, we see Musa, a man of faith, who's led by his heart. He's led by his soul. He's led by faith and by belief. These are qualities of the heart. So on one hand, we have the mind versus the heart. The way of Pharaoh being the way of the mind, the way of arrogance, the way of tyranny, the way of pride, and all of it resulting from fear. And on the other hand, the way of faith, the way of the heart, the way of the soul, the way of the prophets, and despite difficulties, still living in a state of peace. Now, the Pharaoh, Pharaon, is one of the few human beings referred to directly as a Kafir. And this is a word that sometimes is completely mistranslated and misunderstood. The root word, the root of the word Kafir comes from the root, which means to be ungrateful. It's from ingratitude. And we look at a man, Pharaoh, who has more than anybody else, more reason to be grateful than anyone else, and yet he is the least grateful of everyone else. It's ironic, it's a paradox, that sometimes those who are given the most are the least appreciative, the least grateful. Kufur really is arrogance. It's absolute rejection when one should know better. And again, it sources this extreme form of self-identification with the material world. We look at the lives of the pharaohs. They spent their entire lives constructing their tombs. They knew they were going to leave this world, but they were so attached to the physical world, its wealth, its riches, its luxury, that they spend their entire lives constructing the pyramids, tombs with which to hoard their wealth in the belief that they could take it to the next world with them. And even their bodies, their physical bodies were preserved and embalmed so as to not decay, they mastered the art of preserving the physical body from decay. So strong was the attachment of the pharaohs. Subhanallah. It's the opposite of Islam or the way of faith, in which one happily returns the body to the earth and allows it to dissolve and disintegrate so that the soul may be free and unencumbered throughout the rest of his journey. And again, this is why the Prophet always emphasized the remembrance of death. Because we know that we can't take it with us. As they say in English, you've never seen a U-Haul at the back of a Hertz. And when we remember that we're on this planet for a short while, it brings us back into focus. It brings us back into clarity and balance as to what is actually important. And the one thing that is important, the one thing that we do take is our good deeds, our good energy, our good intentions, our good actions. Those things which cultivate love and compassion and goodness in the world. That's what travels with us. That's what propels our souls forward into the journey beyond. Not how much we earned, not what title we had, 
not what type of home we lived in or car we drove, but what positive difference, what positive energy we brought into this world or allowed to flow through us into this world. To which degree were we able to become selfless so that the light of Allah could flow through us into this world and into the lives of other human beings. We can see how the mind and ego and arrogance characterized here by the Pharaoh leads to the tyranny and the subjugation and the oppression of other human beings and how selflessness and surrender leads to life and liberty for other human beings, to helping other human beings. Musa was supported by Allah and he was doing nothing for himself. He was doing for his people. Pharaoh was not supported by Allah and he was doing everything for himself, for his ego. Again, it's a beautiful example of how we as human beings can choose to operate in divine service or in ego service and how one is supported and one is not. And I would also like to add uh, something regarding the word kathir or kufr as well that have other meanings such as cover and hide. Now, we hear in the Quran that there are many people who know the truth but choose to hide it behind their backs. The truth points towards reality, which is inside each and every individual. No matter how corrupt or how pious he is, it exists. But it takes a lot of effort to cover and hide this light that's inside of us. Now another important thing is that no human being has the power or is in the position of calling another human being kafir. Because the act of kufr involves something in the unseen realm, ilmul ghaib, and no human being has that power to see that hidden dimension, to see what is beyond the physical world. And the reason why we bring this up now is because we hear takfir all over the media. It's almost as if people or certain scholars have been given this power to distinguish who has that belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who has covered the reality that is inside of themselves. Thank you for mentioning that, Ahmed, because the word kafir, kufr, is used a little bit too loosely. And kafir does not simply mean someone who does not accept or embrace Islam. Far from it. Kafir is one who recognizes the truth, the reality of God, and actively seeks to oppose it. A kafir is someone who opposes, tortures, oppresses, dehumanizes human beings, not simply someone who has not accepted Islam. That's why Allah says in the Quran, when he's referring to the kafirun, as min al-ahl kitab wa min al-adhar ummas, they are kafirun among the people of the book, etc. Not that people who are not Muslim are kafir. That's a complete wrong understanding or interpretation. The Prophet almost never used that word to refer to other human beings, except those who knew the truth, but yet fought against him. Sometimes the word kafir is translated as unbeliever or as infidel. These are not accurate translations, especially the word infidel. Infidel is a word that comes out of the Crusades and that was used in an effort to spur on and motivate people to liberate, so-called liberate, the holy lands from the Muslims at the time. It's actually a term that comes out of Christian theology, not Islamic theology. And I think it's important for us as Muslims, number one, not to use such terms because they're completely wrong and it's not the way of the Prophet. And secondly, also to help clarify that this doesn't exactly exist in Islam, this way of thinking. Now we have Musa salam, who has completely surrendered to Allah, who is selfless, who has allowed the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fill his heart and who is guided by his inspiration. And on the other hand, we have the kafir, Pharaoh, who is attached to the physical world. Now, shortly after the confrontation with Pharaoh in his court, 
There was a challenge that took place with the magicians and the plague. You know, we know that Pharaoh and his people, because of their resistance and their disobedience towards Allah, they were met with his wrath in the form of a plague. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired Musa salam and his people to leave in the middle of the night to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh. We also know that Allah inspired Musa salam to strike his staff from which a miracle will manifest in the splitting of the Red Sea so that him and his people can cross. And there we see the realities of two individuals. One who has completely surrendered to Allah and allowed the light to fill his heart, which is Musa salam, And we see the other individual, which is Pharaoh, Fir'aun, who is completely attached to the physical world, totally consumed by his ego. His ego, because of its lowly state, did not allow him to retreat, did not allow him to surrender, did not allow him to give in, to let go. It drove him to chase Musa, even though if he were to listen to his heart, his heart were to tell him that he was in danger, that he will meet death if he were to do so. But because of his attachments, he didn't listen, he didn't hear. We know later that Pharaoh, Fir'aun, couldn't make it across the Red Sea. And it was at that point, right before he met death, that he chose to believe and surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But by that time, it was very late. This shows you the stubbornness of the ego. How far did that human being have to go? How much tyranny, how much pain and suffering he had to cause upon his people? How much of this world did he have to accumulate before he can actually say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah? We all need to realize that this ego is not just inside the mind of Pharaoh, but is also inside each and every one of us as well. And nafs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khalaqa nafs, every nafs of every insan, he created from one nafs. We come from the same collective consciousness. There's a Pharaoh inside of each one of us, and we see that manifest itself when we get angry, when we oppress others. That is a Pharaonic quality. And Alhamdulillah, Allah is merciful and forgiving so long as we ask for forgiveness. It's a valuable practice in the evenings to reflect on what happened during the day and look back at the course of your day and see what you did, what choices you made, and how you reacted to certain events. And when you react well, it's a good opportunity to say Alhamdulillah because goodness comes from Allah. And when you realize that you could have acted better, instances throughout your day where you got angry, frustrated, or you may have said something insensitive to someone else, make sure at that night, that evening, before going to bed, to remember and to ask for Astaghfirullah. The Pharaoh was arrogant. He refused to make istighfar. He refused to admit his error until he had absolutely no choice. But by that point, it's too late. Allah's door of mercy is always open, always inviting. And every day is another opportunity for us. Every day we're created, reborn, we go through that day and we have another opportunity to be a little bit better than the day before. So it's a valuable practice to try to eliminate, to try to eradicate, purify ourselves of this pharaonic quality, this pharaonic personality that exists inside each of us. It's the nature of the ego. Pharaoh exhibited it and manifested completely because he had the power and the ability to do so. It's also important to try not to judge because we don't know what we would do if we were enabled as were other people. It's a mercy from Allah often that we don't have power, that we don't have excessive wealth, because it keeps us humble. But if we had wealth and power, how would we behave? Would we be much different than Pharaoh? 
Would our ego lead us into the same? Would our egos lead us into the same evil as other great tyrants throughout the world? Stalin, Hitler. And like you said, Ahmed, we are all from one soul. And hating another human being, even for their evil, is not part of the path. That's why Sayyidina Bilal, السلام, a companion of the Prophet, when he was being tortured by his oppressor, only said, Ahad, Ahad, pointing to the oneness of Allah and the oneness of all creation which flows from the Divine Presence, refusing to believe in separation and duality, even at the most difficult stage, being oppressed by a tyrant and yet not hating that individual. That's faith. That is belief. That is transcendence. And that is the way of purity, the way of the Prophet That's the transformation that Rasulullah facilitated in his companions. A complete metamorphosis of the individual from a reactive entity creature struggling for survival, completely engrossed in self-preservation to a human being that is completely selfless, open, clear, translucent, and through which flows nothing but the light of love, the light of light, the light of mercy. Again, another important reminder for us as Muslims, or for those of us who claim to be Muslims, to remember to walk the path of light, the, wa- the path of the Prophet the path of humility, love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, not arrogance, not the path of war or tyranny or oppression. And by every evening, every night before sleeping, remembering our actions throughout the day, saying Alhamdulillah for the good and Astaghfirullah for the bad, we will make rapid progress. We will grow. We will develop. The Prophet also said one hour of contemplation is better than 70 years of worship. So if we spend an hour, even a part of an hour, in this type of contemplation in the evenings before bed, it will be much more valuable than simply blindly following rituals and practices without thinking, without contemplation. Absolutely. And there are signs for those who reflect. Now, Musa, alayhi salam, that wasn't his last encounter with egoism, with the pharaonic way of life. Immediately after they crossed the Red Sea safely, we see that encounter manifest again with his own people, the Israelites. We see them demand more than one type of food. You know, after he, after Musa السلام, had asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him and his people al-manna wa salwa. You know, if any of us right now were given that type of food and it were to descend from the heavens, I think any of us would be really happy, inshallah, I hope. But they wanted more. And there's an ayah that mentions exactly what they wanted. They want the lentils and the beans and this and that. They weren't happy with what they had. We also see that when Musa السلام, leaves his people because of an inspiration that he had received from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fast 30 and then which became later 40 days, upon his return, he was surprised to see his own people worshipping a golden calf. And what a surprise is that? We have the Israelites, the people, who were sent a prophet from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who saw him challenge the magicians, who saw the plague upon Pharaoh and his people, who saw the Red Sea split for them, who were given the manna and salwa. And after all of that, they end up worshipping a golden calf. Again, ego. Another amazing example of how much the ego seeks to worship form and how difficult it is for the ego to let go of attachment to dunya 
and to worship a transcendent, immaterial God. Instead of looking inward, deep into one's heart and soul, to find that divine presence and the connection to the eternal, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ego prefers to look outside and create for itself an idol. And these were people who had been shown manifest miracles. The sea parted so that they could escape from Pharaoh. Yet still, the consciousness had not yet reached a point where it could easily connect with the transcendent source, the Creator, Allah. Allah says in the Quran that I am closer to you than your jugular vein and that you need but call and he will answer. But we cannot find Allah, we cannot find our Lord, our Creator in forms. So let us not worship forms in any form. Allah is the space in which forms manifest. And this is the difference between form consciousness and space consciousness. Now before the event of you know, the Israelites worshipping the golden calf, when Musa salam by the valley of Tua, he had a very interesting question to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know that he was Kalimullah, the one who conversed with Allah, the God. And he asked Allah that he wanted to see him. He wanted to see Allah. You know, naturally we think, oh, that's, you know, that's beautiful. I want to see Allah. I want to be able to see him. I want to have that relationship with him. And when we look in the Quran, we see that Allah tells Moses, Musa salam, that if you wanted to see me, then look upon that mountain. And the mountain was more like a sign of the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon that mountain. And if he were able to see that, then Musa salam, would have seen God. But we know that did not happen. We know that the entire mountain became dust instantaneously. What is it inside of us that would ask such a question? To want to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the ego. No, we know that Musa salam, was a prophet and he was close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there's always this nafs that wants something to itself. And Musa salam, recognized that after he had awoken and he asked Allah for forgiveness. This need to bring God into form is deeply part of the psyche, the psychology of the ego. And this is why meditation is so valuable, because it teaches us, it trains us to quiet and still and surrender the mind and to let go of all attachment and to become comfortable in the silence, to become comfortable in the emptiness, in the space, in the void, to become subsistent in that divine presence beyond form beyond all forms. The height of meditation practice is known as muraqabah, which means observation, to observe, to simply be, not witnessing, not doing, just simply being. Of course, we cannot see Allah with our eyes. It's impossible. Nothing in physical creation can carry the presence of Allah. And so in order to experience the divine presence, we must transcend the physical world. This was the this was the Laylatul Isra wal Miraj of the Prophet ﷺ. He transcended the physical world. He transcended to a point beyond which any form could exist. Even the form of angels who are made of divine light. Jibreel said, I can go no further. I will dissolve. I will be disintegrated. But Sayyidina Muhammad went further. His soul, his spirit, his essence, his reality went further, deeper into the divine presence. That is what is possible for the human being. That's the capacity of the human soul, the human heart. It comes from Allah. Yet to go there, we must transcend form. We must transcend ego must transcend lower level consciousness. We still operate in the world, but we progressively become not of the world. So again, with the story of Musa salam, we see the importance and significance of the purification of the self. 
the importance of surrendering and putting one's trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also see the stubbornness of the ego and how it tricks the individual that it is in as well as its attachments to the physical world. We see the fate that human beings meet when they are consumed by their own ego, their own consciousness. And we also see that stubbornness of the ego in the people of the Israelites and how Musa salam, the representation of spirituality, we see how he dealt with human beings consumed by such a lowly state. Now there are many other events, very important events that happen in the time of Musa salam, as well as immediately after his departure from this earth. And those are the events or the meetings between Musa salam and the spiritual master, also known as Al-Khidr. And the other one is Al-Mi'raj of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In that night, there was a meeting between Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Musa alayhi salam. Now we bring this up to let the listeners know that there's a lot to say regarding those two events. And inshallah, we'll save those two for future episodes. However, take the story of Musa salam as an inspiration and a reminder of the ego or the Pharaoh as Brother Hassan mentioned that is present inside of our minds. Remind yourself of that reality and remind yourself of the beautiful consequences that one could meet through the act of surrender, of letting go. This brings us to the end of this episode. Alhamdulillah wa shukrullah. May Allah bless each and every one of you for listening and tuning in. Have a blessed and safe week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's presence and barakat and nur and protection be with all of you. We'll see you inshallah next week. And to continue supporting the Soul of Islam radio, please do the following. Please like our page on facebook.com forward slash soul of Islam Radio. Make sure to subscribe. Please give us a review and a rating on iTunes or any service that you may come across. And lastly, please recommend to your family and friends. Visit our website at soulofislamradio.com. There you will find a free multimedia course to help you rediscover the spiritual dimension of Islam as well as subscription links to services such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and TuneIn, and links to our personal blogs and social media profiles, as well as a form for you, the listeners, to send us feedback and or suggestions for future episodes. Also, to learn more about meditation, please visit islamicmeditation.com. And with that... May the peace and the mercy of the Divine be upon you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.